You're tuned to Hybrid Pod, a show that explores conversations of learning, teaching, and technology, listening for ways to empower educators and champion student agency. It's the aural side of hybrid pedagogy. I'm Chris Friend. After what many have called education's pivot to online, thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic shuttering school buildings in the middle of a semester, we've had to re-envision how we stay connected with students. What used to be a matter of arriving to a classroom at a designated time, or being available during office hours, now requires adjustment and creativity. Online classes, too, feel some effects as students whose lives used to involve movement and socialization now might attend our classes from the same desk, the same chair, and the same screen they've been using for all other work they've done the rest of the day. Gosh, remember when we used to say that sitting is the new smoking? Do do we even say that anymore? Anyway, the nature of our classes and the nature of human connection has changed thanks to the mediation of all our interactions. As a sci-fi nerd, I'm reminded of the Solarians from Isaac Asimov's novel The Naked Sun, who interact with each other only through holography and screens because fear of disease has made in-person interaction a social faux pas. Asimov's story suggests the dangers that can arise through limited human contact, and after nearly three months of quarantine, I see his point far more vividly than when I read the novel a few years ago. In this episode, we'll examine that craving for interaction that many of us have experienced this year. We'll look at it, though, from an interesting angle, in an effort to understand how we might overcome the limitations of technology and mediation to still stay meaningfully connected with students. To help me think through this, I wanted to find someone who's had to go to great lengths to accommodate the move to digital. You see, my class's reliance on discussion and my own introversion combined to make my transition to digital rather uneventful. I know folks with lab or performance components had far more complex situations to handle. Then there are the parents who are going stir-crazy with kids trapped at home, those little bundles of energy stuck inside for months. I offer my sympathy to folks in that situation. Bless you all. Now, if we combine those two challenges, a performative class element and energetic young children, into a class transitioning online, that's when my brain melts. It sounds exactly like chaos. And that reminds me of Digital Pedagogy Lab 2019. No, not because it was chaos. Hear me out. I remembered one of the keynotes at that event, and I distinctly recalled doing the hokey pokey during a keynote at a seminar. Yeah, you heard that right. This reserved, rather shy, uncoordinated adult danced the hokey pokey in a room full of professional colleagues. I'm not sure which one of us should be more relieved that you weren't there to see it. The point is, that keynote speaker managed to draw out of the audience something we usually keep very well hidden. So if there's one person I know who thrives on exactly what quarantine makes difficult, who understands the importance of movement and the power of directing physical energy, it's Sherry Spalitz. I'm Sherry Spalitz, and I teach elementary physical education at the American International School in Vienna. And uh, I've done that for about 25 years. And I also write and blog and tweet at Edified Listener. And last year, I published a book called Care at the Core, Conversational Essays on Identity, Education, and Power. I wanted to see how she has handled this transition to online. First, she's noticed changes in how she communicates with colleagues. It's interesting if I think about it and the things that seem to make a difference for me when, now when I'm communicating with people is 
that I'm just thinking the best that I can do is to, is, is let people know how it's really going for me. And so I found that my writing lately has been a lot more emotional so that my Twitter threads throughout this pandemic have been a lot about like, wow, this is heavy or this is challenging or this is what I'm finding interesting about how I'm trying to teach. And and that has, has resonated with people in surprising ways. I have actually been astounded to see how many people have said, oh, that's me. Oh, I feel that. So I think part of it is just coming clean and really saying, no, I do not have it all together. No, I don't have a grand plan for how this is all going to play out and how I'm going to achieve the particular learning outcomes for my students. Critical pedagogues often espouse the value of failure as a step toward learning. But how often do students see us fail, particularly in our disciplines? How often do they see how we recover from our failures? And now that everything's online, it's so simple to find a polished video of anything you might want students to learn to do. Is it more important for them to see polish and perfection or frustration and failure? I don't have those answers. What I do have is just some ideas about, well, what would I want? What do I think I would need from other people? So I, I'm just thinking about in my teaching, what has been so interesting is, is just realizing that for my students, because I teach pre-K to fifth grade, so we're talking four to 11-year-olds, that more important for them throughout this whole thing is for them to see me. To, to, because they know me. If I send them a bunch of random YouTube clips, yes, they could do it. They could repeat that. But it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be the same connection. So that has always been sort of my... They, they'd rather see me do something imperfectly than just see some polished video that, oh, that's too hard or I can't, I don't get it. And you can see this in a video Sherry has allowed me to share. Check out the transcript or episode page on hybrid pedagogy for the link. But here's what's in that video. So one, one lesson that I, uh, I did recently that I actually kind of liked, it's one video that I think, oh, that's kind of cute. I went outside in our little yard and there's a laundry basket and I took a bunch of stuffed animals and I spread them out. And so this, it's another target game. But in introducing it, that I literally was standing in front of the camera and I said, okay, boys and girls, I have a game. I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to, and, and wish me luck. I'm going to, and so there's this, this direct addressing of, of the children in the, you know, um, when I looked at it again, I thought, gosh, it, it does, you know, like if I were four or five, I would feel like, wow, she's really talking to me. She can see me. So I think I'm also learning what kind of presence I need to create to, to create compelling demonstrations that, that really kids can say, oh, I can do that. I'm going to do it the way she did it. Because again, just a simple like, okay, step forward and swing your arm back and then forwards. That's really not likely to do it for kids. But the way Sherry demonstrates her game, she shows what to do when things go wrong. In the video she made for students, Sherry makes exaggerated gestures to emphasize excitement over success or disappointment over failure. But anytime she misses the basket, once she finishes pouting and slumping her shoulders, she grabs the wayward plush and returns to the original spot to make another attempt at the shot. 
For one of the toys, she has to try three times. No, that's not a comment on Sherry's potential career as a basketball player. The point here is we get to see Sherry's determination and what she has to do to be successful. Those retries taught me more about the point of her game than all of her successful throws combined. The video of Sherry throwing toys into a laundry basket in her backyard makes vivid and real some of the problematic assumptions we make when education suddenly shifts online. And I think that is also, again, recognizing the conditions under which much of this is taking place. Yes, I can still deliver stuff. I can still see that things get done or seem to be happening with students that seems to be positive. However, what are the conditions under which that is happening? And and really, when I see kids with their younger siblings and you see the toddler who comes into the picture and, and you know, steps in front of the iPad and, and wants to play too. And, and, and those are, those are wonderful moments. I mean, really, those are just, I mean, you love to see it, but you also recognize, my gosh, the parents must be just at wit's end on a lot of days trying to pull this off as they are also being expected to work from home in many cases. The other piece of it is, of course, what do people have at home? I'm working with a very privileged population where do, kids do have a lot of things. However, you know, it's not like everyone has a regulation soccer ball, or not that we would use those in P anyway. So what I found is that I instead I'm saying, here, you can use stuffed animals. I've used stuffed animals for a lot of things. I've used socks, things that kids are simply likely to have and, and to make it as easy as possible. I think in a different video that when I was kicking, I had a, instead of using a stuffed animal, I used a bag of t-shirts, a plastic bag of t-shirts. I said, I don't know how I feel about kicking stuffed animals. A week later, I'm like, kick the stuffed animals because, hey, you probably have a bunch of them. So um, that's how quickly things can change. She has to build flexibility into her activities because each student's context is different. But I do want students to practice some kicking. I need to think about how can that happen under these circumstances? What if everyone has to stay indoors? You know, what kind of things may they kick safely? And so that means that I have to find ways that allow us to talk about the technique of kicking. I'm going to step and I'm going to kick, but I'm going to use these other things. I'm going to make sure that I'm in a space where I'm not going to hurt anything. I'm not going to knock anything over. Um, and so it's setting things up so that they get to practice the skill, but in a context that is appropriate for where they are. And that is, is different for every single child. Every single context is different where that kicking is taking place. Because every student has a different environment with different available resources, Sherry needs to create not a list of required materials for every student to follow precisely, but a broad framework for the kinds of things that students needed to find, allowing them to make their own decisions about what was appropriate to use. That's, that's, a, that's a great way to put it. It's really about setting up a framework for practice. Here, I think you should be able to safely practice kicking if you use this soft object, if you check your space, and you use this technique. Um, so, yes, that's, that is. It really is about setting up a uh, framework for, here, go and try this thing. And also realizing 
I am not going to know how long they practice, exactly what the practice looked like, um, but I will only have to, I will only have whatever they send me to work with, and that could be two words. It was great, amazing. Like my pre-K student yesterday, he wrote, "I was amazing." <laughs> I bet you were. Okay. Aha! Self-assessment. <laughs> But how well that works often gets limited more by technology than by the students. I have to I have to accept what's given to me, because today when kids wrote back about their uh, standing long jump results, and I got some really remarkable distances, I said, "That's quite a distance." And and really have to stop there, because I can't. I, because it, because as we talked about, it's not a dialogue, and and it's it just is it's too difficult to try to question it because we can't really we don't have the opportunity to really go back and forth or for me to ask more questions. That's frustrating. Like I can't say, can you tell me how you measured that exactly? Are you sure that you stood? So I really have to think. Oh, that's very far, period. But it's interesting. I do self-assessment is part of this. And also, the other piece of it is recognizing that the key is not actually, okay, is their kicking great or but did they enjoy it? That is my, you know, how satisfied are you with what you did? And that becomes the measure. And really, how many of her students need to have exceptional standing long jump distances? How many of us have exceptional standing long jump distances? Uh, how many of us could do a standing long jump without causing personal injury? Yeah, me neither. Sounds like how satisfied are you with what you did would be a tough enough standard for me to reach. So that's another piece that I'm trying to uh, encourage is... I don't need necessarily to see a video of you doing it. It's enough if you come back and give me some feedback about how it went, uh, what you did. That's enough. That's, that's plenty. The main thing is that you go and practice it. Do it. Shifting to self-assessment causes us to shift our expectations for our classes and our contributions. For Sherry, it even changed the shape and size of her new virtual classroom. One of the other pieces of feedback that I got from a fifth grader, at one time I just sent them out on a walk. I, I gave them some ideas. I, On my patio, I did a short video of myself, you know, I said, hey, on a walk, you can do these kinds of exercises. And then, um, and so many kids said, oh, that was great. I love being outside. I love the sprints. I love this. And I thought, this is another piece of, of what we as PE professionals should be doing is create something that they can look at and then they should go away from the iPad, step away from the device and go do it. And then they can come back, tell me how it was, send me a note. And, and I, that's, that's another piece that has felt very important for me. Because the other thing is I realized that if the kids would go outside, if I told them to go outside um, and that maybe they, I thought, are you not? going outside often during the day. And it sounds like some of them weren't. So I, I found that, okay, if I need to be the one to say, 
go outside, then I will do that. And so the explicit benefit of Sherry's classes is their ability to bring students into the outside world, even though class is now mediated through a screen. And being in front of a screen can be extremely limiting, especially if we have to use a prescribed platform or LMS. There, there are aspects of, of this, this form of teaching that I find challenging. And, and one of those is it for, part of it feels kind of empty. Um, because even though I'm getting, you know, my kids are sending me lovely videos and, and sending me lovely voice messages. And I, and I love seeing them. I love seeing them and hearing them. But the nature of our platform and, and the way that lessons are set up I get their response. I give a short response. Good job. Thumbs up. Here's an emoji. Um, because I'm responding to 60 or so kids per day. Um, that, but, but that's the end of it, right? We can't go on. And that's, I guess it's understood, right? That I don't necessarily get notes back to, you know, there's not feedback or, or some, a response to my response. And, and so it feels very, I, I described this yesterday as being quite transactional, that it's, you know, here's the, the thing to do. Here's my video. Uh, you please follow and do. Um, here's a way to show me some evidence. I will then confirm the evidence. Clap, clap. Well done. And we're done. There really isn't a conversation. Even, even if the kids get on and they say, Hi, Mrs. Spalitz. I did it, and I liked my and, and you know they're very honest. I mean that there is you know like there's that connection, but there isn't a dialogue. That's something that for me, when I've gone through so many of them and I've given my thumbs up and my various emojis and and emojis, I do are perfect for this. I think they're very important because I think they they are meaningful for kids. That I have never used so many exclamation marks in my life as in these last two months, because it, if I just say good job, period, uh, thanks, Mrs. Spalitz, right? It, it's, it's, it seems, it seems flat. So I need to say, Hey, good job. And well done here. Fist bump. Um, because that, that is meaningful for kids. I think, I think that, that, that helps them see, uh, a form of excitement. And yeah, I mean, I just find that that's part of how do you make it um, as tactile, for lack of a better word, uh, for, for children as possible. Leave it to a PE teacher to put it in those terms. But that's exactly the point. When we move classes online, we all too often think only of the screens or the work or the discussion posts, not the physical students behind all of it. And the more we keep students at the center of our planning, the more real their learning becomes. I was listening to a presentation by a colleague of mine talking about learning differences, and she talked about the model of I do, we do, you do. And I thought, that's it. I have I do and you do, but I'm missing the we do. I don't have that middle step now. And without that middle we do together in, in, in that space and, and where all those things happen, that absence for me is, is hard, hard to, to sort of get over. 
obviously I can, I can do what I'm doing and it seems to work, but I guess my, my, my concern is, is that we may forget. I'm afraid that, that we can, that it's possible for us to forget about that we do peace and that, oh, when we leave it out, oh, look, that worked just fine. The kids are, you know, everyone work from home. You have your kids next to you while you're doing it. You have peanut butter on your laptop. Um, just everybody just keep going. Just keep going. I, I, you know, I, I wonder if, if we as educators who have engaged in that conversation, I wonder how many we actually were having that conversation. I wonder if many folks were really having that conversation at all. I think that that part of the challenges of, of being in our in our group of, of, of higher ed folks and open ed folks and, and pedagogy folks is that um, our perce- our perspectives can be kind of skewed and that we we because we're talking about it doesn't mean that there's a wider conversation actually happening. Um, it, and, and that many teachers are really just trying to get over the fact of like, they can't make up for all the poverty that they're seeing. They can't, um, compensate for all the things that, um, the systems are, are not providing, uh, them or their students. Um, so that I think the, the whole mediation thing is something that now in this situation, we are ask. I think people are asking themselves, who can I be to my students? How can I best serve them? And does the administration have any idea what this means or how, how to make it work given whatever resources we have? And in many cases, those resources are quite, quite limited. So I, I, I feel for my colleagues who are, who are trying to make this work out of, you know, really from scratch almost so I think it's it's really the purpose of it all in the context of the demands that are are, are really pulling us in so many different directions. And think of how and, and again thinking about how that notion of I do you do fits so well into a neoliberal agenda of everything, right? That we do we can leave that out. That whole, you know, commons business up. Forget that, you know, like here, let's just stick to I do, you do. Boom. Okay, good. Transaction. And so I think it's, it's recognizing how those things intersect and they are about to, and it feels like they're about to swallow us whole. And, and that's, that is maybe that's, that's frightening, alarming. And, um, and so I'm also, I guess there's a part of me that is, is really resistant to uh, how we're doing this. Because I keep thinking about the, cart- the compartmentalization of, of content in the way that it's structured for my students, right? I mean, they have, okay, here's science, here's this, here's this. And, and it, you know, it might be that during the school day, but in a classroom, you've got a science poster over here. You've got something about social studies over here. You've got re- – and all of that is integrated with reading and writing, and, and right? They, they connect and intersect, and they're happening all the time. And, you know, the things just keep coming, right? So it's just cascading to-do lists. And I think kids inherently understand that. They live it. They they are living it, right? They're practicing all the time. Again, I think the the question for me as I go along is, is again, this recurring emptiness that I feel at, at the lack of dialogue. 
that um, not being able to go back and forth with my students. If something in our situation limits our ability to engage in purposeful dialogue with students, we can still create the feeling of conversation in a way that shows we're here for students, we're talking to them. Even though person-to-person eye contact isn't possible through the mediation of screens, we can still help students feel seen. I think for me, it's again, it's about that direct address, so really getting into the camera. And to begin with, when I did the first videos, I did them without talking. I would just, I would put on the music and I would just, you know, move and, and, and in the directions with the lesson, I would say, follow along with the video. And then I began to actually speak. And now I am at the stage where I'm really addressing the child, like I see you and here we're doing this together um, to kind of emphasize the fact that, that there's even more. Um, so it's, it's really been a progression, but I, I just find that also when I watch students, especially when I watch their videos and I hear them and I see them. And one of the things I, I I'm, I'm interested in is how they have become so capable of self display and self portrayal. And, and I, I realize that's maybe partly, you know, like the influence of YouTube, right? And that this is, these are kids who are probably accustomed to watching YouTube content that, that is, you know, chipper. And, but, but amazing the way that some kids present themselves to me to show me, oh, I mean, I, I have a couple of students who really give like a full intro. Now I'm going to show you my kicking, really, with the, with the narration and everything, and so I, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm curious about that. That's something I would love to have us look at, you know, five years down the road, how that, how that plays out. But in the meantime, we have this year's classes to work with, including all the complexities of mediated remote learning. As we navigate our new setups, we need to remember the importance of connecting with students, not platforms. Again, the, about the connection, I just find that when I listen to them, that I need to listen closely and, and that when they tell me that they want something, that they need something, that if, if there's any way that I can do it, that I need to deliver, that I need to, when they say, I really wish we did more soccer. Okay, well, let's find a way to kick something. If we can't kick soccer balls, then we're going to do some kicking and we're going to do some striking. Um, that those are just important, that they, that they feel heard and they know that I'm paying attention to what, what they're saying and what they feel is important. As we approach the coming semester, think how you ensure students feel heard and that you're paying attention. So much these days relies on how well we build connections with each other and especially with students. You've been tuned to Hybrid Pod, a production of Hybrid Pedagogy, Inc. Just because the show is over doesn't mean the conversation ends. Everyone who contributed to this episode is available through Twitter, and so is the show itself. Along those lines, at HybridPod and at Chris underscore friend, we'd like to thank at Edified Listener, that's E-D-I-F-I-E-D Listener, for chatting with me for today's show. So that's it for this episode of HybridPod. To hear more episodes, you can subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast listing service. But the best place to go is our home on the web. Find us at hybridpod.audio where you can hear all our episodes, read show notes and complete transcripts, and contribute to the conversations online. That's hybridpod.audio. Thanks for listening.